Hey there, this is Katie Chute. I'm a coach for highly motivated professionals and leaders who wish to elevate their careers and lives. I help them unleash their potential and stand in their strength. I'm a believer that courage is the key to transformational change in every area of our lives, our work, leadership, and our communities. This podcast is Choosing Courage, where we get curious about what it takes to live with guts and heart. In this episode, I'm talking with acupuncturist, fertility specialist, teacher, author, and all-around wise woman, Stephanie Gianarelli. Stephanie is a fellow of the American Board of Oriental Reproductive Medicine and the founder and director of Acupuncture Northwest, an acupuncture clinic with locations in Bellevue, Seattle, and Tacoma, Washington. She's been featured in several news media and publications and has been awarded top doc in East Asian medicine by Seattle Met Magazine for the last four years. Stephanie also just happens to be my acupuncturist. And for me in this conversation, it was a treat to flip the table and be the one asking her the questions. A couple days before we recorded, Stephanie and I talked and went through some of the key topics we wanted to hit. And through that conversation, we discovered that a core thread in her life story is this phenomenal ability to live through intuition. In our lives, we so often live from the neck up. Everything we do and believe is done with our head. And it doesn't matter how smart we are. Our heads just don't know everything. Stephanie and I explore what it means to follow your intuition and embrace heart-centered living. We also talk about how in her work as an acupuncturist and mine as a coach, there is an honor in holding space for others and being a witness for their journey. Stephanie and I dig into how this comes together and we explore what's possible if we live heart first. Now let's dive in. So Stephanie, tell me about your story because acupuncture isn't exactly the most run-of-the-mill kind of career out there. So how did you become an acupuncturist? So um, I like to start with... um, when I, cause I get asked this a lot, of course, I've been practicing for 20 years. Um, I come from a family of physicians and scientists. And so, um, so I was kind of expected that I would do that. And I thought, no, I'm going to do something different. So um, I came out to the university of Washington and got um, an international studies degree, which was really fabulous um, and really got me educated in a broad sense, which I had been lacking Um, but because I didn't have a course to follow and my family is very course driven they, you know, they go to medical school or my mother was the first, uh, person with a higher education degree in my family and she went straight to PhD. And so there was a lot of, there's a lot of science on my side, um, on the, in my family. Um, and I just didn't, I don't know. I just didn't, that didn't resonate with me. Um, and so I graduated, um, and I didn't know what to do. So in the middle of all that, in the middle of my, uh, turmoil on what I'm going to do, 
um, with a liberal arts degree, uh, a friend of mine wrote me a letter, um, a physical letter, because it was like 1993 or something, and said, if you ever do anything that I uh, tell you to do, you'll meet me in Bangkok in three weeks. And I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> that's what I'm going to do. And before, right before I left, I went to visit, I went home to Montana, and I visited a friend of my mom's, and she had just graduated from acupuncture school. And I knew nothing at all about it. But she was always around in my childhood and I just was talking to her and we were just having this conversation and she said, oh, you'd be, a, you'd make a really good acupuncturist. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's it. It was no thinking, no thoughts, just yes. It was like getting uh, kicked in the stomach um, mm -hmm. is the way I often describe it. I was just completely sure. I was like 100% sure and I didn't know anything about it. And so then I left like a week later, I went to Thailand and spent time in months and months in Indonesia and um, learned how to speak Indonesian, which I've all forgotten now. <laughs> Side note, it's the easiest language in the world to learn, just in case you needed to know that. Um, and then I went to Europe um, and I thought, and I was just traveling around some more and then I ran out of money and I thought, okay, well, where am I going to live? And so I ended up in the eastern part of Germany, and um, I spent a couple years there. And in all of this time, I never, um, in all this time, I never had an acupuncture treatment. I tried to read one book on it and and got like halfway through it, and um, but I never wavered. And when I was ready to come back to the United States, I applied to acupuncture school, and I thought, you know, I need out of Seattle. I just spent five or six years in Seattle and I need a little break. So I thought, and I was going to go back. And so I thought, well, I'll just go to Santa Fe, New Mexico mm -hmm. and get my acupuncture education. So I applied, I got in, came back to Seattle, bought a car, moved there and started school like three days later. Fantastic. So what was it that you knew, like what resonated with you so much that you were going to follow this kick in the stomach? Um, nothing. <laughs> no, nothing. Right. So, so I don't know. It just felt like it was the right thing to do. Did you get any pushback from family? Because they kind of have this like clinical medicine physician, you know, that like really science driven family. Did you get pushback from going after more of the Chinese traditional medicine route? Yeah, I did. I did. And I expected it to be from my dad because he had been practicing. He's an ophthalmologist. He had been practicing mm -hmm. for 25 or maybe even 30 years at that point. And he thought it was great. You know, like mm. he, he, it comes the way it, I finally came to think about his perspective was he had been around Western medicine for a good long time and had realized that it doesn't fix everything, mm. you know, that it mm. can't do everything. So what ended up happening when you got to Santa Fe? How was that? So um, I had never had a treatment still. I knew nothing about it. I had been abroad for three years and then I moved to Santa Fe. So culture shock, like three different types. Yeah. Right. So I was in not living in Germany anymore. Culture shock. I was in, I'm in Santa Fe culture shock in the, I love Santa Fe, but it's so different. Mm -hmm. And so, and Chinese medicine culture shock, I knew really nothing about it. Um, 
and and suddenly I was learning about these ways of thought that I hadn't even ever considered. I was 27 at the time when I, when I got there and, you know, I'd never heard of yin and yang and chi and Taoism. I had never spent any time thinking about any of these things. So suddenly I'm thinking about them constantly. Mm-hmm. And then we started treating each other in class and uh, it started bringing up all my childhood stuff that I thought I didn't have a problem with. And that was shocking at a minimum. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What we hold in our bodies. Yeah. I would really have told you out. everything was just perfect. And I had no issues. My childhood was fine. But suddenly I'm sobbing in the middle of class with these people I don't even know. Like mm-hmm. six weeks in about my parents' divorce when I was eight. Mm-hmm. I was like, what is happening to me? And then it just spiraled, you know, just all of my stuff came out. And and now I can look back on it and know that you kind of have to go through that if you're going to be a healer, which I didn't really realize I was signing up for either. But I ended up with uh, an acupuncturist, two therapists, and um, and just sobbing a lot. You know, like I got an acupuncture treatment once and I cried for two days. And I was like, what is happening to me? What is happening? Yeah. So that happened. Do you know, I'm so curious about how acupuncture works. So do you know what, what they were doing that released everything? Like what kind of, um, you know, where they were pinning you and all of that, like what it was that released all that? Yeah. I rem- uh, I, I'm thinking back to that one treatment where I cried for days. Um, and I think what it was, I was face down. And so I think what it was is this uh, treatment called an aggressive energy treatment. I do them all the time now, but I'm guessing it was something like that. And, uh, and later the, the, the doctor, the acupuncturist said uh, he had students in the room, you know, like there was, you know, and he said, I could see it coming out of you, you know, and, I could just, you could just see all of this stuff coming up and out of you. Yeah. And uh, I ended up, poor guy, I was in his office for like two hours just sobbing my brains out. Yeah. He was so kind to me. He he was really great. Uh, He helped me through all of this. And it really just took me down and then, which took about a year and a half and then put me back together, which took another eight months or so or something like that. I don't know. But I remember... Um, just not even knowing what color I like anymore. Like, I feel like I was just taken down to my elements. Wow. Yeah. And I'm not even religious. And I remember getting on my knees and saying, okay, God, I don't know what you're doing to me, but if you just get me out of here, then I'll, you know, I'll, I'll just follow the path. I'll do whatever you need, but you need to like, let me know that I'm going to be okay because this is crazy. And I felt in that moment, so I literally got on my knees and I can remember where I was. I was in my room. I had, I had gotten a room to rent from another acupuncturist from Germany. So I didn't even, you know, I got there. I didn't know her. I just like, like moved into her house. We're still friends. And, uh, and so I'm on my knees in this bedroom and I just felt myself being lifted up and like placed into a raging river. But I was stable suddenly. And it was from that moment forward that I started to like put the pieces back together. 
it was quite astounding, I have to admit. And this is coming from someone who never even had to have therapy, who had never even thought these kinds of thoughts before. And suddenly I'm just like diving into my deepest psyche. It was, uh, it was slightly terrifying, I have to admit. Understandably, yeah, yeah. What did it take to get through that, to break through that? Um, it took a lot of acupuncture, a lot of, I had two different types of therapists. I had a Hakomi therapist and I had a regular therapist. And one of my, my regular therapists said to me one week, she's like, what do you need to make you feel better? And she goes, draw a picture of it. So I drew a picture of the mountainside and I drew a little house on it. And I drew a picture of the sunset. And I said, I need a free place to live. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it needs to be on the hillside with a view of the sunset. And so I told everybody that week. Uh-huh. I told all, all the fellows, my fellow students, and they're all laughing at me, like literally laughing at me. And then next week I go back and the therapist is like, here, here's a phone number. It was, uh, it was um, on Catholic property. I ended up living there for two and a half years or longer. And it was right next door to a Carmelite monastery. So these Carmelite nuns were next door. And it was the most peaceful place. And I got to live there yeah. for free. Yeah, with a view of the sunset. And I moved in like two weeks later. It was perfect. Uh, yeah, it was perfect. Um, and I think that I just had a quiet place and I didn't have to work as much because my housing was free. And I just got to really focus on putting myself back together. And what has that given you now as a healer yourself? It's, uh, it humbled me a lot and it, it's given me perspective and it's given me a place to stand, um, when I'm witnessing other people going through it. And a lot of people are going through it these days. I imagine COVID kind of COVID has kind of pushed us to face some of our stuff and to grow. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's been like that the whole time, except I think uh, things seem, there's a lot more people doing it now. Mm-hmm. Doing the the breakdown and regrowth or doing just yeah, facing yeah. everything. And yeah, growing and changing and, and realizing uh, what's not working in their lives and trying to make, you know, COVID broke everything. And we all need to find a way to build our lives back in a way that makes sense to us. And um, so it's, it's truly an honor to be an acupuncturist right now. Like today alone, I had three people going through it. And I only saw like five people today. Wow. And yeah, and they are having profound breakthroughs psychologically or physically like what they're doing in their lives and they're all having these profound breakthroughs and making massive changes and it's just such an honor to witness and be with them uh, on that journey Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah I I feel that as a coach absolutely and like you said it is an honor to be a part of that with them how does that work for you in your practice with like being a witness to them and supporting them through all of that like is it just in conversation or is it in the work that you do or it's what both. is it that uh-huh it's both so it's being a witness it's listening and I've been doing this or I've been treating patients for now I think 25 years and so there is this knowing that I have now you know there's just if you sit with someone um and you truly listen to them you often hear 
I don't know, it just kind of pops into my head. I'm like, oh, whatever it is, you know, like, um, and it'll be some insight. And then I always tell them, and I always, I always give them, you know, a little preface, like, I could be completely wrong. You can tell me if I'm crazy, mm-hmm, but, mm-hmm. you know, it seems to me that dot, 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 you know, whatever it is, you know, um, and, and then I get to do the acupuncture on top of it. So then we decide together if I'm crazy or not, or they have an insight. <laughs> and then we kind of work it out together. Like, oh, okay, well, if work isn't working out for you, because as soon as you walk in the door, you know, everybody's negative chi gets all over you and then you don't feel well, you know, like someone's having a bad day and then, and then you absorb it. Um, you know, what can we do from an acupuncture perspective? Because acupuncture is energy medicine. What can we do to help you be able to walk into work as if we've done that recently? Um, <laughs> but we're getting ready to walk back into yeah, work. Right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, what can we do for you to help you walk into work and not collect, you know, everybody's energy from around you? And then we can talk about practical things we can do, like putting plants or moving water or, you know, thinking about not taking on their energy as you walk in the door, like putting up some protection or how to get rid of it after you have it. So we can talk about physical things, but then we can do acupuncture and they can do, they, we can help, you know, help them with their boundaries, you know, from an energetic standpoint as well. So we do a lot of, it's, it's really listening. Like today I, I think listening is um, such an an important skill. Today, I was listening to someone and just shut up long enough and not like, you know, like start spouting what you know and truly listening until they actually get their words out. And today, I was just listening and I was getting ready to say something, and then she just threw me for a loop, like hmm. because she's so good. This woman today was is so good at seeing her stuff and working through it that she was ahead of me. Mm-hmm. So by the end, I was like taking notes. I was like, really? That's interesting. And then I hadn't thought of it that way. And then together we came up with what what kind of acupuncture we needed to help move her forward in this journey she's on where she had better insights than I did. And I I was glad I could keep my mouth shut long enough because it's a little difficult sometimes. It is. Yeah. No, I remember that in... Um when I first started doing coach training, that was like one of the number one things they tell you to do is learn how to be comfortable in the silence and not fill the silence. Hard. And, you know, people hire you thinking that you're going to tell them everything they need to know, but really it's maybe you talk 25% of the time and they talk 75% of the time. Right. Right. We're starting a coaching program for fertility patients when they're going through fertility. And that's the number one thing we're talking about. Like, how are we going to not be bossy and sh- and shut up and listen? Because yeah. we have a lot of things we want you to do and we want you to do them now. Uh-huh. So am I going to be able to wait for you to figure it out? You know, but the truth is people know what they need to do for the most part. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be a very interesting transition for us to learn how to not be so bossy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had um, a a um, supervisor once during my certification program telling me that um, she, this was before coaching was on zoom. So it was like when it was over the phone and you couldn't see each other's faces, she said she would, she told a, um, told a student or a coach 
to, to every time she'd ask a question to literally put her hand over her mouth and just wait, 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 wait. Right. Oh my God. Isn't that so kind of terrifying to think about it? Yeah. Right. I'm going to have to tell my coaches that. Mm -hmm. Like turn off the camera and just cover your mouth after every question (laughs) you ask. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's definitely, it's a learned skill for sure. But the truth is people know exactly what they're supposed to be doing. You know, 100%. It's so true. Like even in my, my acupuncture practice, I will um, ask them what they need to be doing and then I'll write it down and then I'll put it on their treatment plan and then I'll give it back to them. And then I'll hold them accountable. (laughs) I'm like, Okay, you know better than I do what you need to be doing. So just tell it to me and I'll feed yeah. it back to you. Yeah. And they laugh and then they're then then it works. Yeah. I always say that I'm holding up a mirror too. Like yeah. I'm I'm a mirror for you and you see everything reflecting back. That's great. And we need that. Mm-hmm. We need that in our lives. And how often do we honestly look at ourselves in the mirror? Exactly. When we were preparing for this podcast, I have to say, and I've told like three people since then, that you were so good at doing that. Like I have never felt more clear about my story and the thread that has tied my life together um, that I don't want to say ever, but it was such a profound moment that I stopped afterwards and like, wow, I feel like I, I know the thread of my life in German. They say the red thread and uh, I know it better than, you know, like I know it better now. And so thank you for that gift. I've told like three or four people. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear that. It's really interesting. Once we start talking, how we can kind of realize, make the connections. You know, when, when someone's it, listening mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. interested in you. Yeah. 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 Well, should yeah. we keep going on your story and find that thread? Let's do it. All right. All right. So I forgot where we were. uh, You were at, you were in Santa Fe at your magical house with the nuns. Yes. Yeah. They were dreamy. They were dreamy. Mm. Yeah. And that was, that was super great. I got to spend two and a half years there. I baked for them. I would bring them things. You know, they were cloistered and silent. So you could only see the one out front. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah. And she just became mother like a couple of years ago. I just saw her when I went down last time. Um, but um, so that was really divine for me. It was really, it was really unbelievable. And so I did, I got to put my life back. I got to put myself back together in a more solid way than I had ever been, um, which was wonderful. And then I decided I would, you know, I knew I was going to move back to Seattle. Mm-hmm. And so I did that. Um, it's funny because I, graduated in 99 and I had told um there weren't that as many acupuncturists back then and I told there was this guy I used to um be in charge of uh all the incoming doc um uh, lectures that would come and give like continuing ed and so mm-hmm. I got to go to the mall for free and I was talking cool. to one of them and he he said why are you moving to Seattle there's so many acupuncturists there you'll never make it And I was like, no, I know I'm going to make it. It was another one of those times when I just had this gut intuition, like, no, I'm fine. I'll be fine. Acupuncture. I'll be fine. Seattle. Fine. So I moved back and, um, and I found a, I wanted to be downtown because I didn't want to work evenings and weekends. I wanted to be where people were working so that I could, um, uh, work the same hours that everybody else worked. 
And so I rented a space downtown by myself with five treatment rooms. Who knew? Who knows what I was thinking? I don't know. It was... (laughs) It was another one of those times. It's like, it's, it's like I scramble to keep up with my intuition because my intuition is so good at deciding. And uh, I just, I, I almost never question it. And I think that's one of the, um, the threads we came up with when we were talking to prepare for this. And, um, and so I jumped in and I rented this huge space and then I had to figure out what to do. And so I got it and I moved in and then I thought, well, I better find some people to help pay for this space. And so I found a few people to rent space with me. And then I decided, well, I better get busy. So it's a 17 story building in downtown Seattle, medical building. And so I took around uh, a newsletter and a free treatment, like little flyer for every single person in the building. And I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to give a free treatment to everybody in the building and I was in the black in month two. That's amazing. Yeah. It yeah. was so good. And I didn't even, I wasn't even on insurance yet. And so, and then it's just grown. Yeah. It's grown ever since. Yeah. I always, I have mixed feelings about the word hustle. Um, because I think mm. sometimes it can be too aggressive or our ambition kind of kills us a little bit if we hustle yeah. too hard. Yeah. But it sounds like that's really what you were, you were hustling for that work. You were going out. Yeah, I guess it. so. Mm-hmm. I was just going to do this. I was going to succeed. Yeah. And maybe because that acupuncturist put the fear of God in me, I better work double hard because there's so many acupuncturists. I remember visiting one of the acupuncturists in the building the year prior, I had gone up to look and see where I might want to practice and she literally said to me, she goes, you can't practice here. I get all the referrals downtown. Oh, geez. And so-and-so gets all the referrals up on First Hill. And she's like, there's no room for you. I was like, okay. Well, talk, well, talk about a I fixed come. mindset. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess I better, I guess I better work yeah. doubly hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was great. It was great. And I've, yeah. And then I, um, became a fertility specialist also without, I just had somebody call, uh, call me up out of the blue and she said, Oh, did you see the new research that came out about acupuncture and, um, and IVF and how it increases the success rate? And I said, no, come on in. I'll look it up. And so I looked it up and I got the protocol and she came in and she got pregnant. And then I thought, Oh, okay, well I'll just, uh, you know, hustle some more, Mm -hmm, I guess, mm -hmm. if you call it that. So I wrote a newsletter article and then I put it on the website and then I um, took information around. I made packets and I took them all around to all the fertility clinics in town. And I said, here, this is what you can do. This is how acupuncture can help your practice. And back then their success rates were not very good. They're so much better now. Um, but back then, um, you know, they were, it was new, you know, they never did day five transfers. They all did day three transfers when they were like eight cells still these embryos. And so there was a lot of room for helping them. And, um, and so I got to know all of them and I still know them all. And, and uh, about eight months later, the Seattle times called and said, you know, we saw your uh, newsletter on your website. Can we do a piece on acupuncture for fertility? I'm like, sure. Mm -hmm. And so they came and interviewed me and then that happened. And, um, 
And then as soon as that hit, then Evening Magazine called, which is a local TV show. And they're like, uh, I'm sure you're getting bombarded with media requests. Uh, I'm like, yeah, I am. But I wasn't. <laughs> but they were like, we want to do a piece on you. And I'm like, okay. And then I hung up the phone. And I'm like, oh, my God. Not only do I really not know what I'm doing. I mean, I kind of do, right? Mm-hmm. I, I knew as much as, as most people, um, except for the Asian providers who, you know, they actually specialized in China a long, long before we did. You know, we were mostly, gen- the, the white acupuncturists were mostly general practitioners, but there were fertility specialists in the Asian community in this mm-hmm. area. And so, um, and so I was like, oh my God, I really don't know what I'm doing. Um, and I'm about to get really busy. And so I need some help. And so I hired uh, uh, Lee Hollander Rubin, and she is still a dear friend of mine. Um, she's one of the top people in the field now. And she was already trained and she was great. And so she came on right after Evening Magazine hit. And, you know, we kind of, we were really good for each other. And we spent several years working together. And that really solidified the practice and, and, you know, we've been fertility specialists yeah. ever since. So it sounds like you were kind of hit with imposter syndrome a little bit at the beginning of that. I was an imposter. <laughs> <laughs> right? Because I jumped in with both uh-huh. feet. <laughs> and I wasn't really ready, you know, but yes. And I still get hit. Well, I get hit less with it with uh, fertility these days. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I guess you're right. And probably you're right. Right. I knew more than most. I knew more than any of the patients coming yeah. in anyway. How did you how do you get through that? <laughs> um, how did I get that through it? Um, yeah. Back then I hired mm-hmm. Lee and we sorted it out. Um, but then we did a big study. We did a study with the University of Washington and that was hard too. you know, imposter syndrome really hit then. And we were green and new. She was she was farther along than I was in the fertility field. But but we were we were, uh, we were new with that. I think you just put one foot in front of the other and you, I don't know what else you do. You just can't stop. You just have to keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, another way I think I got through it is I realized that not only do I know infinitely more than the patients, I also know infinitely more than the fertility doctors. And those, you know, those are the two people I'm interfacing with most. And then I can look up the rest, right? I can, I can figure out what to do on a patient-by-patient basis, even if it takes me looking it up and reading about it, you know, in the beginning. Um, yeah. And, you know, I train a lot of acupuncturists. I've trained a lot since, for the, the past maybe 15 years, a lot of fertility acupuncturists. And it is so much information. And I have to help them through it as well, through them feeling comfortable, you know, to uh, – um, caring for fertility patients because fertility patients come and they know oh, a I bet. lot. Yeah. They are in, well, especially invested. if they have been yeah. working with medical doctors too, and they've had a lot of, a lot of emotion behind it, you know, a lot of heartbreak, a lot of research, yeah. mm-hmm. a lot of dedication, a lot of mm-hmm. inspiration. So you have to be careful to, uh, We've always been really careful about not taking advantage of that because they'll do whatever you tell them to do. So you have to be really, you have to be like a steward of their trust. Um, 
and be really careful to just guide them carefully and not and not misuse that. I think it can get misused. Um, so it's 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 where honor comes in again. Like it feels like an honor mm-hmm, to work with these mm-hmm. people to hold that trust. Yeah, and hold that mm-hmm. space for them as well. Yeah. When they've yeah. given up hope. Yeah. Yeah. What have been some of the most meaningful experiences that you can remember? I remember a couple. So one is um, I ran into this woman and it's in my book that I wrote with Dr. Shaheen called um, Planting the Seeds of Pregnancy. uh, That book, uh, the story's in there. She, I ran Mm -hmm. into her in the grocery store and she came up to me and she was crying and she, uh, she, she just said, you know, I um, am so glad it didn't work with my own eggs because we got just the right wow. child for us. I was like, Oh my God. Wow. So I still use that story when people are needing to move to donor egg because it isn't going to work for everybody. It's just not. And so even if I'm the best fertility acupuncturist in the world and they have the best fertility doctor in the world, it's not going to work for everybody. And so I bring that story out to help people transition you know to get to wrap their brains around the idea that they don't have to use their genetic mm-hmm. material you know them carrying the baby alone will change the baby's dna you will affect the baby's dna if you carry that child and so that often will get you know we're, we're stewards along the whole journey no matter where it might lead and so um we often have these conversations with people and these are the times that that and helping with supplements and lifestyle and nutrition that the Western doctors, the Western fertility doctors really need us. And I told my co-author, Dr. Shaheen, um, that we were starting mm-hmm. a coaching program. And she's like, oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, we need you. We don't we just don't literally have time to do all of that coaching that that people need and to help ha- and to have these conversations with people. And, and so we are the, the people who have the time, you know, and have the, the insight from having done this for so long. You need to, you have to bear witness mm-hmm. to a lot mm-hmm. of, um, of joy and also pain. And so uh, it, it can be, it's so rewarding and mm-hmm. can be exhausting mm-hmm. yeah, at the I, same time. I talk about um, in an earlier podcast episode, I explore the idea of bearing witness and I refer to it as Mm. radical empathy because you're just opening yourself up to hold space for another person. That is such a gift to offer people. With this new coaching program that you're developing for fertility coaching, where's the origins of that? Where did that come from? Well, you know, um, I... It came with the pandemic. Mm. So when the pandemic hit last March, I truly thought we might lose the lose the practice. You know, I guess we were all in that place of, I don't know what's going to happen. Maybe yeah. we're going to lose the practice. And so I thought, what are we going to do if we can't see patients? Like, how are we going to survive? What can we bring of value to the community 
that doesn't involve putting needles in somebody and being in the same room with them? How can we be of service during a pandemic? And I thought, well, what we do really well is help people through their fertility journey. We can do that online. We can do everything except for the acupuncture. And so I began to start this fertility coaching program and I would put it together and it was, it was, you know, I was building it. And then we got back in the office and we got busy. And so I thought, well, I'm just going to shelve this for now um, because I need to focus on the fact that we're back in the clinic and everybody's busy and it needs me to run it. And then um, in January, this January, 2021, one of my very best acupuncturists said she was moving to Nashville. Um, and um, I thought, well, I'm not losing you. So I'm going, I'm going to pull out the um, coaching program and I'm going to, um, we're going to implement it so that I, you, you can work for any, from anywhere. And I had never decided, I had never thought, well, I'm not going to do coaching. I just thought, well, I just need to get through this pandemic. I need to figure out how to make the acupuncture clinics um, sustainable because we were so busy prior to the pandemic, but our expenses were so high. They had just kind of uh, gotten so high, just, you know, just happens. Um, I needed to figure out how I needed to fix the acupuncture clinics and make them sustainable and make them be able to, uh, I needed to fix them. You know, they, the pandemic broke everything. It broke all of us. It broke my office. It broke everything. And so I had to take the time to put them back together. And so, and I did, and they're very sustainable and we're busy. We're really busy. We're swamped again. And that's great. Um, and so that, that took all of 2020. And then uh, Natalie said she was leaving and I was like, Oh my goodness. No, no, I'm not losing you. And so now we're putting the coaching program back up and it'll be pregnancy and fertility, but we're going to do the fertility first because it is, it takes so much time as you know, to put these things together. You know, we're putting together this, this gorgeous program that's going to help. Uh, it'll be everything except the Chinese medicine. So it'll be, you know, the supplements and the, we have pages and pages of research citations, you know, it'll, um, and, and the providers can do it from anywhere and the patients, you know, the clients can do it from anywhere. So, you know, there's, there are fertility um, coaches you know, in the Midwest necessarily. And so, or wherever they, they can, they'll find us from. Um, so it'll be a great thing to offer a wider community. Um, and, you know, our mission and our goal is to help people be the best that they can so they, they can be the best they can be for their kids. Right. So we, I, we have a kind of a broader vision of what we want to accomplish, which is healthy kids, healthy families, you know, making a difference in the world, bringing their light, bringing their light into the world. With, with the work that you do with your clients in the fertility coaching and the work that you do with all of your clients in the acupuncture as well, what are some of the values that you have that connect and resonate with the work that you do? Integrity is what comes up mm -hmm. when I, when I think about my patients, um, just 
um, giving them all that you have, you know, like bringing, bringing yourself to the table um, and not just your role as an acupuncturist, you know, like actually human to human, you know, with the weight of what you know and the, your expertise, but, but actually showing up as a human and, and being there as a witness, as we were talking about, I think that's such an honor. And I, um, as people come in through COVID, through the breaking of most everybody's life, everybody's life was broken in some way or another during 2020. And I just see people, um, you know, putting their lives back together in different ways, you know, and it's such an honor, you know, it's just such an honor to be there with them as they're putting their lives back together in a way that makes more sense for them. I mean, I hate to be cliche, but build back better, right? Like it's kind of a good saying. It um, is. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we've got to put things back together and not the way they were before. Yeah. It's an opportunity. You talk about your story and a lot of it is following your intuition. Yes. So what are some of the things that your intuition is telling you now about how are we going to build back better? You know, um, we need to, I've been thinking about this. I've been listening to podcasts. I've been, you know, working on patients with this and, and, and I think we're moving from head centered thinking to more heart centered thinking or doing or being, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of, we're kind of, um, we're getting away from trying to use the brain to figure everything out and moving more towards the heart, which is that intuition, you know, what feels right. Like this patient today, the one who was so far ahead of me, she's like, I just check in and see how my body's feeling. And that's what I know I can trust. I know I can't always she said, my brain gaslights me sometimes. 100%. Absolutely. Like, That's such a good point. Yeah. She says, but my body doesn't. Mm-hmm. If I'm listening. We have so much wisdom in our bodies. Yeah. Yeah. So she just blew my mind today. And I was like, oh, yeah. That's a really good point. Um, so I think in general, that's like big picture that's what a lot of us are doing we're moving towards lives that lives that make more sense for us and that are more heart-centered mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in coaching we talk about the being and the doing and how we're an integration of the two yeah and i think in our culture we focus so much on the doing and the action but we don't focus on the being And um, there's kind of a metaphor if you think of an iceberg and above water, the tip of the iceberg is the doing and the action. And that's what we see. But beneath the water is the being. And that's our values and our mindsets and our assumptions and our worldview. And when you can really connect the two, that's when you're going to make significant and meaningful action. That is such a great way to describe it. The way I sometimes think about it, although I'm going to steal your thought, your, mm-hmm. that, that description, because it's 
phenomenal, um, is that the brain should be the slave of the heart, hmm. which is Same not more. a, yeah. So, so the, the heart should be the decider. The heart should be the one who's choosing, right? So when my intuition says, you know, become an acupuncturist, um, I left my mind out of it completely, but um, you know, my mind followed behind and tried to figure it out. And when I, you know, moved, when I went across the country or the world, you know, my brain tried to figure it out and keep up. And I think each time I make a big intuitive jump, my brain has to catch up. But a lot of times, um, if you're leading with your brain, one way to catch it is if you're making pros and cons lists, right? Then, then trying to decide what you're going to do, then that, you know, is not intuition. Interesting. But if, but, but the heart always, it doesn't decide between right and wrong and make pros and cons list. It just says yes to what's right. It's that quiet voice that goes you or that. It's not, well, I think this would be better for this reason. And this would be worse for this reason. I mean, you can put that through, you can use those paces. Um, but for heart centered, like how I think I have run my life without even knowing it. I mean, I think he really helped me clarify how I've been um, run by intuition my whole life. Um, but that is just a quiet knowing. And then you can have the, the brain uh, do, you know, work through it afterwards. Mm-hmm. Figure out what to do. Figure out how to get there. Heart-centered living, I think, is where we're all headed. Um, and we'll all take our, you know, everybody's on a different path and a different, a different steps along the way. So I have patients who are um, all the way from me, who was in the, you know, curled up in the fetal position in March and half of April, and then, you know, um, decided what I needed to do and then engaged my brain and then it just did it. And then Mm -hmm. by July or August, I was firmly in the new place. And then I've been able to be more productive helping other people along. But we've Mm -hmm. had people um, who have set up such um, out of their dysfunction and their trauma from their childhood has set up something that's so hard to get out of that there's, you know, they're trying and they see it and they see where they want to go, but they have to work um, really hard because it's just, it's, it's not, I don't want to say set in stone, but it's, it's, it's not that movable, Mm -hmm. you know, like they're married Mm -hmm. to people that they shouldn't be married to, or, you know, whatever it is. And so they have to like figure that out and it's it's causing lots of drama and stress lots of stress and then there's other people who um weren't really awake we can call it awake at all and they were just like crying all the time and one of those she came in and she has just gotten miraculously better Hmm. just and she just woke up immediately and she didn't have as much to move physically in her life. Mm-hmm. And so she was able to energetically clear out all this stuff that wasn't really hers. And then she's able to just fly and soar. It's been remarkable mm. to watch her. And then there's all the people in between, you know, just, just making strides, bigger strides than I've seen in my 20 years of practice. In the last year, I've watched more people make bigger strides in their life than I've seen. 
mm-hmm. on the whole since I've been in practice. Mm-hmm. It's it's been amazing. And just being with people as they as they make those big, sometimes big changes yeah. in their lives. Yeah. What is the lesson that you've learned watching all that, witnessing that? I have learned that the spirit doesn't give up. You know, the spirit is going to triumph. It's just going to keep trying and keep trying. And I know I'm in a privileged place, right? I'm okay. And I don't, I'm not living somewhere where it's trauma all the time. And I know that that colors the way I see the world. So from my, you know, privileged part of the planet in so many ways, um, uh, I see people really making like their spirits are not going to give up. And, you know, I, not to get uh, too out of the realm of what we're talking about, but it's as if the whole planet broke open, you know, like our collective unconscious has spilled out into the open, into the bright of light of day. And we're all facing it and dealing with it. You know, we're actually understanding like more about what is racism and what is sexism and you know what are all these things and you know anti-lgbt you know like what is it it's 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 been exposed and people are seeing it and i think it's a similar thing that what's happening in people's individual lives you know like people's unconscious are no longer willing to be wrapped up and pushed in a closet. Just like the group unconscious isn't either willing to do that anymore either. And it can't. Right. Right. It can't be in that box anymore. It can't be shoved back. I think we all have such a profound effect on the whole. Um, just by the life we lives we live and the values we keep. Um, so I think that's crucial. But I've learned to stand up. You know, people have are standing up, and that's inspiring. And I'm watching all these people come. You know, have their voices heard for the first time, and it's amazing to me. It's completely amazing. So I'm trying to speak up more for what I believe in. And I think that's important. But if you're not able to do that, if you know it yourself, it will emanate out of you. If we let our light show and not be afraid to show it. And I think we're all getting, at least I know I'm getting uh, more willing to put my light out there than I used to be. Mm-hmm. And it's what's possible when we can do that. Yeah, what's possible and what we can bring to the, our community. You know, like mm-hmm. how, when we started this coaching business, I was like, how can we make a difference? Like, mm-hmm. how can we bring change? How can we serve? Like, that's how we we are coming at this. How can we be of service? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that this 2020, you know, 2021, that's become more of a universal question. Yeah, because we have so many problems to solve. You know, maybe 2020 
because everything stopped, gave us a chance to think about how we want to be of service, how we want to live our lives, how we mm-hmm. want to make a difference. Yeah. Well, and I think too, like, it's so easy to fall into the trap of like, oh my God, the world's going to shit. Like I find myself even sometimes like, you know, you read the latest news article or you see the the newest case counts or you have a conversation with somebody that really make, like hits you in the gut and you think, oh my God, the world is going to shit. But it's like you said, it's reminding yourself to change that mindset and think spirit first. Yeah, spirit first. And and I do think we're changing and it is going to be messy. It is going to be messy to clean up our collective unconscious that's been, you know, riddled with racism for thousands of years, you know, uh, across the globe, you know, and and sexism for millennia, you know, like that's going to take time, you know, and it's not going to be pretty clearing it up. And people are invested in holding on to that power structure. And so it's going it, to it's going to be ugly. And but I think it's going to be good. I think if we all stand up together, you know, we have a chance of really making a difference and, and changing the way we interact with each other and how we live in society. That's what I'm hopeful of anyway. Isn't Stephanie the best? I love her ease when it comes to following your intuition. So many of us, and I'm including myself when I say this, we live like our brain not only makes all the decisions, but our brain also tries to tell your intuition, tries to tell your heart to shut up when really it should be the other way around. As we wrap up, I want to leave you with something to try. Think of something you're struggling with. Maybe it's a difficult decision you have to make or an uncomfortable situation you're in. Something that you've spent a lot of time thinking about and putting your mind to it. Maybe you've written some pros or cons lists, but you just don't have much clarity. Okay, do you have your thing? Now, I want you to put your hand over your heart. Take a big breath in and a big breath out. Now ask yourself, what are you going to do? Thanks for joining me today. As always, check out the show notes on my website, imchoosingcourage.com and hit me up on Instagram at katie underscore cute underscore. As you go throughout your week, I encourage you to think about what does heart-centered living look like in your life. Thanks for listening. This is Katie Tute, and I'm Choosing Courage. Courage.